Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Billy Humphrey teaches from Song of Solomon chapter 6, speaking on how loving Jesus through all circumstances creates maturity in the believer. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. So, Song of Solomon 6 pray. Our plan is to finish the story tonight, next week, and the following week. The Lord, as the Lord directs, Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for Song of Solomon, the way that it speaks to us about our journey with you. I pray that even tonight we would grow in our knowledge of God. We would grow in our understanding. We would recognize that the way you think of us compels us into maturity. Release revelation to our hearts to ask. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Okay, so last week we told Song of Solomon 5, and the story in Song of Solomon 5 is this. He comes knocking on her door. She goes to find him into the night. He's not abandoning her. He's inviting her into the darkness with him so that she can meet him in a different way than she's ever met him before. And what happens is she meets him in difficulty, in trial, in challenge, and in suffering. But it's through that that all the philosophy of her relationship with God, it gets solidified. Her veil is taken away. And then she declares the beauty of who he is. And it's, to me, one of the most powerful segments in the whole Bible when she comes through that dark night and she's unoffended in love. So we talked about how God wants us to understand that at times suffering is part of the journey and in suffering we find Jesus. That's critical, friend. Critical. All right, so in Song of Solomon 6 She's now coming through the dark night. Now, she's going to find him in Song of Solomon 6. But there's some dynamic things that happen here. So let's just start start the journey a little bit. Song of Solomon 6, verse 1. And this is the daughters of Jerusalem. The daughters of Jerusalem, they're kind of the believers that are on their way to maturity. They're growing up. They're maybe not like full on there yet, but they're on their way. And they say this, where is your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? Right out of the gate, right there in verse 1, we find something. And it's this idea that Christians that are mature in love and unoffended, they send a testimony, when they stay unoffended through suffering and trial, their testimony that the the world sees compels others to want to seek Jesus. And I told the story last week of my friends Bob Sorge and Gary Weens and how they came through the dark night of their lives. Bob lost his voice completely. Gary lost his wife. They were completely unoffended in love unoffended with Jesus, and I was there on a ministry trip with them, and I looked to my right and my left on those guys, and I literally thought, 
I don't know Jesus anywhere near the way you, you do. I, I literally, in the story of my own life, I was the daughters of Jerusalem. Because I looked at them through their dark night and how they're worshiping Jesus, and I'm saying, I need to know him. Where is he that I can seek him with you guys? I need to grow up. Well, that's how it goes. When you, when you live with unwavering devotion through hardship, through difficulty, through trial, and you're not offended with the Lord, but you're steadfast, it, 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 has, it has a power and it affects those that walk past you, that are watching you, that you don't think are watching you. It, it, it causes them to want to know the Jesus that you know. Now, I'm going to tell you a true story. So before I was in the ministry, I worked uh, selling cell phones. And uh, this was back when cell phones were in a bag. Yeah, they were like, what? Yeah, back in the day, like when we used to ride in horse and buggy, our cell phones <laughs> were in bags. So the first cell phones were either installed in your car, and they were, they were just a, a part of the car, or they, some of them were in uh, suitcases, or they were in a shoulder strap, like in a bag. Like the, the, the cell phone was so big. Y'all are going like, how old are you, bro? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. It was in a bag, and you had a phone that just came up. You had a, like a handset that came up as attached by a cord to the thing in the bag. It was, man, you were slick if you had one of those. You were like the man. We, we, uh, we, we ended up, the, the, the first generation of like phones that was like a standalone phone, it was about the size of a brick. It was about like this big, and it was thick and giant. And those were, the, I was a Motorola 8000. I used to sell these bad boys, so I know, I know all the details. Then they had these NEC phones that were smaller, about the size of a giant garage door opener. So, and you couldn't, you couldn't do anything on them. You could only make phone calls. There was no text messaging at that time. Yeah, we had none of that. <laughs> when did the beepers come out? Y'all are like, okay, we need a really backstory. So anyway, so I'm selling these things. So what my job is, this is my college job. So what my job is, is I'm to call businesses, ask who they have their contract with, and then <clears throat> if, somebody, if they say we have a contract with so-and-so, but we would in, be interested in comparing, then I hand that lead over to the sales force. Now, the salespeople were all driving like high-dollar cars. They were getting paid. They were all making $100,000, and this is way back in the dark ages, so that was a lot of money back then. So they were all these partiers, and they were working like they would, they would, they would be like out with athletes and, you know, strippers, and they did all this stuff. Like they were just, they, you know, they were on drugs and snorting on a cocaine, and I'm just this little Christian boy, and they're like, excuse me, uh, I'm calling from Cellular Selections. Would you like to have cell phones? And then I'm handing it over to like these wild party animal salespeople. Well, they, it was very quick they found out I was a Christian, of course, because I'm not... I don't talk like them, I'm, and I, I'm brash and bold enough. I'm like 19-year-old me, and I had gone so hard for the devil, I was just like, well, I'm just going to go so hard for Jesus. I just tell them, y'all all need to get saved. You're not, you're, you're not saved. You need Jesus. 
And, uh, and, and I, I wasn't quite that foolish. I, I kind of learned a few things as I'd, you know, been around to share the gospel with some people. I, I started out the gate really bad, not at there, but when I first got saved. I mean, I just was really rough. But anyway, I was calling them to salvation, but it, it, after a minute, it was like, oh, man, I became, I became the butt of all the jokes. It was like I walk in and like, oh, shh. Like that was my experience. It was tough. I remember one day I walked into my office, and they had taken a uh, nude picture of a woman and put it right up in front of my desk because they knew this wasn't me. So I'm like, I walk in, I'm like, oh, Jesus. And I have to, like, grab the thing and, like, crumble it up. And they're like, oh, look, you church boy. You know, like, that's, it's all fun to them. Well, the office was rough. Two different times they ordered strippers to come take their clothes off for people who were having a birthday. This is the environment. Don't go work there. It's a bad one. It's a bad one. The owner ended up getting indicted. It was bad. Anyway, so long, long story short. So I work there. I do my best. I I, I, I do my very best to keep my witness. And I do. I keep my witness. I, I I stay like straight as an arrow. Never, you know... Am I in the party with them? I'm at the party, but I'm not doing the party, you know, like because they would have office parties or whatever. Uh, the strippers come. I get up and walk out. Like, that's me. I'm doing that deal. I'm 19 years old, 19 years old. And it's, it is difficult in my soul. It feels, it feels terrible. They're making fun of me. They're mocking me. They're talking behind my back. I don't have one good friend there. Um, but I do a good job. But I keep my witness. I, I mean, I just keep my witness. I just won't, I won't bend to it. Now, I mean, I, it, there, I could just tell you more icky stories, but you get it. So, it's my last day. It's my last day. And they all know I'm leaving. I'm, I'm transitioning to another job, another position. And here's what happens. One by one, they come walking into my office. Hey, man, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. And they sit down and they go, hey, Listen. I had, this, I had this happen four or five times on my last day. Hey, listen, I've been watching you for the last two years. I think you're a real Christian. I go, uh-huh. Man, and I've got this thing. Can you pray for me right now? Yeah, I'll pray for you right now. Jesus will meet you. Laying hands on them, praying for them. I had this one guy who was the, he was the picture of the party animal dude, he goes, man, I, you're, he goes, you're the real thing. I know it. I know what, you, what you're into is real because I've never seen anybody be able to stay a, you know, on a straight path like you have with everything that's going on around here. He goes, I want you to pray for me that I'd be like you. I'm 19, little buddy. He's like 25 running around with all the you know, strippers and the athletes and all this stuff. Dude had like a Corvette. And he's broken because he doesn't have what little buddy 19-year-old dude has. And it's a heart that's true and pure. When I went back and saw this, where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? There's just something about it, friends. Listen, you don't know who's watching you but they are watching you. They are paying attention to you. They're watching your witness. 
And if you'll stay with Jesus through thick and thin, through being persecuted, through all this stuff, say no to unrighteousness, yes to righteousness, you don't have to be Mr. Holier than thou, but you just stay the course. You just stay the course. They're paying attention. You don't have to come out and tell them everything they're doing is wrong. That's not the point. The point is just saying, I love Jesus, so I'm not going to do that. Like, what's your deal? Why didn't you stay in with the hookers, uh, with the strippers? Uh, I love Jesus, so I don't want to look at naked women. What are you? What are you? You know, and they just start saying all the things. I go, no, I just love Jesus. I, I like girls, and I love Jesus, <laughs> and so I'm not staying in to watch uh, a woman strip. And, and it was bewildering and mocking and provoking. It was so provocative that I wouldn't go into the excesses that they were going into. But at the end of the day, it was troubling. To where these guys that were making, I mean, bank, came in with little old me. I'm making like, I don't even remember, like some stupid, like six bucks an hour kind of a job. And they're wanting to, they're asking me, how can I get what you've got? And honestly, I, I, I didn't do anything special. I just stayed straight with Jesus. They're watching, guys. They really are paying attention, I promise you. Where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? And I want you to think about the transformation of the bride. Remember in the beginning, she's like, nobody look at me. Now they're all looking at her and they see what's happened to her and they're going, now where is he? Because he's the one that's transformed her. And it's all making sense to them that Jesus is actually the one that has created this change that's in her, and it's her unwavering devotion, they literally call her, you're the most beautiful woman there is. It's literally the world, or the, 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 the I should say the lukewarmish looking ones, looking at her and saying, you're actually the, you are beautiful. Like, you are actually the most beautiful person there is. They see it in you, friend. Stay the course. Take the hit. Let them say all sorts of crap about you. I, I didn't do it well. When they put up that naked picture of that woman, I was like, God's going to strike you. You know what I mean? I was like, kind of like that. If I would have done it better, who knows the greater thing that would have happened. But here's the thing. They call her fairest among women. women. When we see that phrase, fairest among women, that's the second time we see it in the book. Because the first time we see it is in chapter 1, verse 8, where she isn't the fairest among women, but he calls her that. He says, I see your destiny. I see who you can be. And now it has manifest, and the lukewarm people are actually seeing it. This is our journey. This is our portion, guys. That we'd be transformed by the power of his love and in the knowledge of him. We would be transformed so that everyone around us perceives the work of God in us. Well, guys, this is our, all of our personal journey, but this is the journey of the church. This is what's going to happen to the church. Uh, Paul said, Ephesians 5, verse 27, that the church is going to be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. I look at the church right now and I go, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Not our, just our church, but like all the church, I go, Ugh. We got, we got, we've got, we've got a little bit of growing to do to step into the glory of who we're called to be yet. But we're going to be glorious. 
And we're going to be so glorious that the world is going to see us even through persecution and the dark night of the difficult days ahead. And they're going to say, now, where is he? They, they started saying, what is he? Now they say, where is he? We want to go after him with y'all. Well, she's going to give them interesting advice. Verse 2, she goes, my beloved's gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the garden and to gather the lilies. Can you remember where he said that she should go when he go, she says, hey, in the noon when it's hottest, where do you feed your flock? Where do you make it rest? Shepherd's tents. This is the same style of an answer. She goes, he, if you want to find him, he's in his garden. It's the same idea as the shepherd's tent. She tells him, because the garden represents the church, she tells that the group of daughters, hey, go find him in the church. Go find him among fellowship. There's just something about when you're growing. I really want to emphasize this. When you're growing in the Lord, there's this temptation to like, you, you know, you got something going on in God, and you, 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 there's this temptation, well, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord told me, the Lord said, the Lord told me, the Lord said. And you're hearing more prophecy and prophetic words than any prophet that I've ever met. And I've just, I've seen this over the years where young people, it's like they get lit up, and it's the Lord, the Lord said, the Lord said, it's pepperoni on the pizza today. The Lord said, and I'm like, bro, bro, don't go lying on the Lord like that. And I appreciate your zeal, and I appreciate your hunger, and I do believe the Lord is leading and compelling you. But listen, when the Lord said to you, don't come out and tell everybody the trump card the Lord said. Because as soon as you say the Lord said, nobody can say, bro, really? You don't believe in the Lord? You know, I do, but what the Lord said. You're like, I mean, don't. The conversation's over at that point. If you feel like you're getting a leading of the Lord, go, I felt like. I was impressed. And then be this humble to go with those around you. Go, hey, what do you feel like the Lord's saying about this? This is what I'm feeling. And I'll tell you guys this. To this day, to this day, when it comes to direction in my life, in my family, in my ministry, I don't, I don't show up to our leadership team and go, the Lord said 21-day fast. I, come, I, I show up and I go, guys, I'm asking the Lord for a 21-day fast. Any of you guys feel the same thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. We're all feeling the same thing. Let's pray and believe God to confirm it. I don't mean that I've got to get the confirmation. I'm expecting the confirmation to come in team. You know why? Because God moves in body. He moves in us together. So he tells her, he goes, by the way, he's in his garden. He's in the church. He's feeding his flock there. He's gathering his lilies there. He's working in the midst of the church. It's just like what he told her. He goes, go by the shepherd's tent. She tells these developing believers, go and find him in the garden. Verse 3, she says this, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies, and now she's, she's got this definitive place where she realized, I am his. He is mine. Remember earlier in the book, she said, my beloved is mine, and I am his. Now her testimony is completely changed. And there's something that happens when you get mature in your walk. You just realize this thing's not firstly about you. 
It really is firstly about him. And beloved, that's the journey that we're all on, is to get it, that, get the, the focus off of self and get the focus onto Jesus. And this is the transformation she's gone through, and she's got her full confidence and love with him. And, and, and here she is. It's interesting because she's come out of the dark night, but she hasn't exactly found him yet. And she's, now she's describing what he's like, and she's telling them where to find him, and she's saying, I'm owned by him, and my heart's not offended. I am his, and he is mine. And beloved, I will just tell you, when we find the beauty and the peace in being owned by Jesus, he owns me. I am his, and he is mine, and this is my portion. When we find the beauty and the peace of that, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Because the point gets moved off of the center being you. Man, and there is such freedom in that. She's literally in this new place of come north winds, come south. I don't care. I'm his, he's mine. It's all good. It's all good. So, verse 4, now he shows up. This is the first time that they've come together since he knocked on the door in the beginning of chapter 5. And he does what he does. He goes, you look good and I like you. I just want to ask you, and don't have to show hands, but since we've been talking about this, when you hear the Lord speaking to your heart, are you, is the lens beginning to change a little bit? So that if the filter before was, you felt like he's just always like frustrated or angry or directive or demonstrative. Are you hearing him at all with, hey, by the way, you look good and I really like you? Because that's how he's always talking. You're beautiful, my love. You're beautiful. He goes, oh, my love. He goes, you look good. You're, he, goes, he goes, I like you and you are as beautiful. He goes, you look so good. He goes, you're as beautiful as Tirzah, lovely as Jerusalem. So what's Tirzah? Tirzah was the capital of the northern kingdom in Israel. It was known as the city of kings. It had a lot of grandeur about it. He goes, you're as beautiful as Tirzah. For us, it would be like, you are more beautiful than Washington, D.C., <laughs> Not that D.C. is beautiful, but it's where the president lives. You're more beautiful than Dubai. Hallelujah. There we go. And he goes, you are as lovely as Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom. But Jerusalem is where the presence of God was. He goes, you, he goes, on the outside you're transformed because of the beauty that's on the inside. You're, you're as beautiful as Jerusalem. You're as beautiful as Tirzah. He goes, and you're as awesome as an army with banners. What's an army with banners? That's an army that has just returned from war and is victorious. And they come back flying the banners of victory. He goes, you are a victorious one. You're beautiful and stately like a king's palace you are beautiful like the presence of, uh, like, the, like the temple mount and like the presence of God on the inside, on the outside, and you are a victorious one. You've come through it and you're winning. You've won. 
And I think so often, friends, I've talked to so many people, they go through a hard thing, and they come out the other side, and they're so shaken. They don't really know God's love and his affirmation. They don't know the, you look good, and, and I like you. They don't know that. And they come out of a, of a tumultuous moment, and they're like, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's just so bad. It's so hard. I mean, just look at my life. It's just, I'm in shambles. And I go, but you're here. You're standing. And so often the conversation is like, and I just, I just want God. I just want to be back where I used to be with him. And I go, you love him. You've come through it and you love him. I go, you look good and he likes you. You're like tears in Jerusalem. You're like an army with banners. You, you're you won. So often we measure ourselves in degrees that the Lord doesn't apply. We want it to look like some kind of every time it's a touchdown, every time it's a grand slam, like we just nailed it with perfection. And God takes your C plus, C minus, D plus and goes, way to go. You made it. And we're going, it's a D plus. He goes, I love D pluses. D's get degrees, baby. That's how Maybe not quite that, but he's definitely, he's excited that you passed. But then he says this, the wildest statements. This is to me, verse 5 of chapter 6, the wildest statement in the entire book of Song of Solomon. Turn your eyes away from me, for they've overcome me. Turn your eyes away from me, for they've overcome me. I don't. I don't know that we really catch the power of that, but he's literally saying, when you look at me, I can't take it. I can't handle it when you keep your eyes fixed on me. He goes, I'm ravished by one glance, but now your eyes are fixed and it's overcome me. This is your truth. And it's not one of those individual truths, my truth, your truth. This is the truth of you who are a born-again believer, who have a yes in your heart, who love Jesus, that when you fix your eyes on him with a steady gaze, even through a dark night, even when you can't see him or feel him, but you're locking eyes with him, you're holding on to him, you're looking to him despite every circumstance, he goes, wait, I can't take this. You're overcoming me. Do you understand what happens in God's heart when you lock your eyes onto him? You've overcome me. All the demons in hell, Lucifer himself, and 10,000 more Lucifers, could not overcome Jesus. But his bride with a steady gaze, he goes, whoa, 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 I can't take it. To say it differently, you impact the pleasure centers inside of God by fixing your eyes on him and there's some kind of compounded interest when you come through a hard time and you stay locked on him. 
Because the temptation is what? We go through a hard time. Then we get offended. We quit looking at him. We look at the circumstances. We look at everything else. Start complaining. Start, you know, chiming in with entitlements and all this stuff. He goes, wait, wait. You're still looking at me through all that hardship? He goes, you didn't, you didn't take the bait on, on, on getting offended. You didn't take the bait on you're entitled and you deserve better. You didn't take the bait on, you know, just feeling sorry for yourself and self-pity. You didn't take the bait on any of that. You're unoffended and your eyes are locked on me. He goes, stop. I mean, yes, but no, but yes. He goes, it's overwhelming me. You have to catch that that's what happens inside of God's heart. When you stay locked on him and when the temptation is coming for you to blame God, for you to, you know, get offended, for you to jump into your entitlements, I deserve better more, for you to get into your self-pity, resist all of that and stare at him. Good God, I mean, I may not understand anything that just happened. Why did you put me in a job where they're going to sit there and order strippers and put up pornographic images in front of my desk and make fun of me every time I come around the corner? Why would you do that? He goes, just keep looking at me, buddy. He goes, oh, wait, you're overcoming me. And then they go, oh, wait, who is he? Where, where can I find him with you? Keep looking at him, friends. Keep looking at him. Keep staring at him. Because you are impacting the pleasure center in the uncreated God in a dynamic way. That is giving him glory. When we return his love to us, when we return it back to him. She's broken through the dark night and she stayed faithful He's not offended by her weakness. She comes through beaten and bruised and messed up in so many ways. She looks not awesome naturally, but inside she's, she's amazing. And everybody around her sees it. And he's not offended by her weakness. He's moved by her steady gaze. Your faithfulness matters. Listen. If everyone else is dropping like flies, if everyone else is getting offended, if everyone else stumbles and you just lock eyes and hold on, and if it's the hardest and the weakest and you're wavering in it, but you hang in there because you've overcome me. The greatest motivation to staying faithful through the dark night isn't, well, if I'm unfaithful, I'm going to go to hell. No, the greatest motivation is when you stay faithful through the dark night, you're moving his heart. Love is a much more powerful, compelling agent than fear. So he says some affirming things to her after that. And then he just explodes. Verse 9, he goes, my dove, my perfect one. You're the only one. The only one of her mother. The favorite one. Remember when he invited her into the dark night? My dove, my love, my perfect one. 
Here's now he's saying it again. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed, the queens and the concubines, and they praise her. My dove, he goes, you're faithful. Isn't it amazing how many times he calls her faithful? Even when she's unfaithful, he's going, you're faithful. In her faithfulness, she's faithful. He's always calling you into the faithfulness that's in your yes. Your yes caused a born-again thing to happen on the inside. The Spirit of God came inside of you. Your spirit came alive. And there is a faithfulness on board that you can tap into, and it will, it will cause you to stay the course. He's always saying, my dove, my dove, my dove. Why? Because you are born again of eternal seed. That's faithful. My dove. He goes, my perfect one. And it's not that she would never make another mistake. It's that she's become mature. And isn't, just, I'm asking you, you don't have to answer me, but just, isn't that really what you want? To be mature in love, to not be thrown around by every little thing, every little emotion, every up and down, every difficulty in the society, the economy, the politics, the, all the stuff that he said, she said. Don't don't you want to be like locked on in love? That's where he's wanting to take all of us. Maturity. So you're not thrown around by every wind of doctrine and every new shiny toy and every new, you know, uh, person that shows you a little attention. You're so locked into love that you can say no just because they're cute. I don't care what their house looks like. I want to know who lives inside the house. Don't say yes to every cute house. That's stupid. I've seen so many, so many believers doing so well in God, and all it takes is a cute person from the opposite sex to walk across their path, and he wants to bring you to perfection, not that you'd never make another mistake, but that you would be mature, not thrown around by every little shiny object not thrown around by the society, not thrown around by popular opinion, not thrown around by trials and tribs, not thrown around by all the challenges, the difficulties, the lack, and not thrown around by the blessing. The, the only thing that's harder than going through a difficulty is going through awesome stuff. Because difficulty, if you stay the course, you come out going, you know I need God. When you go through blessing and you experience, like, you know, expansion and everything's going your way, it's in your wealth that you feel like you don't need him. Prosperity is a greater challenge than poverty when it comes to trusting and leaning on God. And I'm not talking about just financial. I'm just talking about prosperity of soul, prosperity of life. When things are easy, we just, we're, we're not, we're, we're built like when it's easy, we let up, don't we? My perfect one, it's her maturity. It's the fact that she's responded and stayed faithful through the dark night. Then he says, you're the only one. 
I want you to catch this. You're the only one that loves in the color, flavor, texture that you love. No one else can love in the color, flavor, and texture that you love him in. If love was something that you could see, you have your own color, flavor, and texture that comes up out of you. No one else can love him for you, and no one else can love him like you do. Because you're the only one. You're so unique and different. Your love is so special and precious to me. You're so faithful. You're so perfect. You're, you're so mature. And your love is so precious. It's rare. It's rare. There is no other Billy Humphrey love. There could be another person named me, but it's not me. There's, that's, it's, my love has its own color, flavor, texture. Its own tone, its own spice. Only my love, it touches him in a certain way. And so does yours. No one else can love him in the place of you. We need to catch that, catch the heart of God in that. Verse 10, he says this, who is she? I love this. Who is she that looks forth as the morning? Fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. I like I just when you get married or you're on your way getting engaged, this is a great verse to say over your wife, fiance. I mean, you try the girlfriend, and she might be like, dang, bro, a little intense. <laughs> I, I've said this to my wife. I go, who is she? Looks forth as the morning. You're fair as the moon. You're clear as the sun. That's some poetry right there, boys. Take a note. This is a call to recognize the beauty of the bride. The second one is going to come in Song of Solomon 8.5. She's shining like the morning sun. Remember? On her journey until what? The shadows flee away. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. Well, now he goes, oh, wait a minute. Who is this? She looks just like the morning. The day is broken. The shadows have fleed. She's coming into her identity, and it's evident to everyone. He goes, who is she that looks forth as the morning? Fair as the moon, clear as the sun. Fair as the moon, what's the moon do? How do we know? I mean, where does the moon get its light? She's reflecting his glory. Come on. Clear as the sun. You're pure just like me. You're victorious. He goes, you're victorious, babe. Clear as the sun. Pure as the sun. That's another way it's translated. And then verse 12, something happens. It's an interesting point. And I'll wrap here. Uh, I got to say 12 and 13. 
before that sound thing t- took us out for a minute. I feel like it, it feels like 9:30 to me, but it's 10. But I, who cares? Y'all don't have. There's no kids in the nursery. Let's just let's just I'm just ride with this for a minute. Before she says, before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. Uh, the New American Standard says, over the chariots of my noble people. Before I was even aware, my soul made me over the chariots of my noble people. That's talking about a leadership position. Now watch. I've seen this in church for 30 years. So often, people work so hard. They want to be seen. They want to be noticed. They want to be affirmed. They want their gift to be able to be used, to be put in front and get put on display. And they, they work and work and work and work trying to get someone to notice them so that they can get up the pecking ladder. They want to get up the pecking order. They want to be somebody. They want to be in charge. They want to be a leader. Her journey to becoming a leader in the body had nothing, with her, had nothing to do with her trying to be a leader. It had everything to do with her falling in love. And because she fell in love and gave herself to love and gave herself to growing in the knowledge of him and gave herself to, to functioning and flowing back and forth with him before her soul even knew it, she became as a leader over the chariots of the people. She, she, she moved into a leadership gift by her faithfulness and love, not by like whatever, trying to prove to everybody what her gifts were, trying to, you know, oh, there's pastor. Oh, hey, just pick this up. Just trying to throw away things for pastor, praise God. Like, it's so weird. It happens to me. I'm like, be around people. None of y'all, y'all don't really care that I'm the pastor, but y'all are like, What's up, bro? My old son called me bro today. Love you, bro. I was like, bro, dad? Dad, bro? But people will perform in front of leaders imagining it's going to curry favor with them so that they can get noticed and then get promoted. I have such a, like, my sonar radar is so intense like, I smell that, feel that from about a million miles away. So as soon as that gets into my orb, I'm like, weep. <laughs> it's happening back here. You know, I just kind of, I don't let that move me. That moves me the other direction. And I can tell. I've been around a long time in this. But you know what? People that fall in love with Jesus, they just don't care. They appreciate that I'm a leader and a pastor, but they're just, they're falling in love with Jesus. And there's something that that produces in you, a maturity. And she goes into maturity, not trying to prove to everybody how awesome she is and that her gift needs to be noticed. When I was a young man, I wanted everybody to notice my gift. I wanted everybody to see that I was zealous and had a, pre- a preaching gift. And I need an opportunity. Somebody's going to give me a platform. I wanted, I wanted that to happen so badly. Until one time, I remember that somebody gave a testimony about me and how I administered to them. And the guy said, it was the grossest thing. The guy goes, and he deserves all the praise and the glory. And the Lord goes, how's that feel? I go, oh, it feels like I'm going to throw up. He goes, that's right, buddy. It's not about you being seen. But so she falls in love, and it causes her to ascend into her gifts, and her gifts get noticed. And the next thing she says, before I was even aware, I was made as the, uh, the leader over the chariots of my noble people. 
All right, last thing. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. Then it's answered by a second group. What would you see in the Shulamite? And then the narrator says, as it were, the, the dance of two camps. This is such a curious verse. It's so interesting. So you get the one group that is recognizing who she's become. And they go, come, come minister to us. Come, be in our lives. We want to receive from who you are. And then the other group goes, what would you see in her? She's not that great. And I would just tell you, no matter what, no matter what, when you are leaning into God and, and, and God begins to use you, there's going to be a crew that really thinks it's awesome, and there's going to be a crew that's like, Pfft. and it gets more and more intense the longer you're in ministry. And the key is, don't worry about the ones that are like, what would you, what would you see in the Shulamite? Don't worry about that group, but continue to feed the ones that are saying, return, return. Feed the hungry. If God ever promotes you into ministry or promotes you into a place, feed the ones that are hungry and don't worry about the ones that don't like you. There's a ton of people that don't like me. It's okay. That's totally fine. I don't walk, I don't walk around worried about the ones that don't like me. I don't go to bed at night thinking about the ones that don't like me. You know who I go to bed at night thinking about? The ones that God's giving me responsibility for that are hungry for God and that God's given me, you know, uh, um, a stewardship in their lives. I think about them. I pray for them. I, that's y'all. That's who I think of. But he says it this way. He goes, as it were, it's the dance of the two camps. When you begin to grow, when you begin to mature, when you begin to step into who you are, there's always going to be a group that's glad and always going to be a group that's sad or mad, and that's just how it is. It's just how it is. Don't be offended by it. Chapter 7, we're going to see how that group that is offended with her, how he, how he vindicates her. And then chapter 8, we get to see the finality of what it is. Amen. Let's stand. What it is to be mature in love. I'm just going to take a moment. We're going to be right back here at midnight to intercede. I want to pray for you just for a moment. Don't y'all love the Bible? Don't you love Jesus? Love you, Jesus. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, God, for the stewardship that you've given us here in Gatekeepers with your presence. Thank you for these beautiful young men and women who are hungry for you. God, thank you for all of the hearts that desire to become mature in love. Lord, I pray that even right now, right now, the truth of the way that you are moved by our steady gaze that would resonate with us. It would land upon us. Turn your eyes from me. They've overcome me. 
you need to know that, I just want you to put your hand on your heart. If you need to know the way you overcome his heart, just put your hand on your heart. Say it over us, my dove, my love, my perfect one, the only one, the only one, the favorite one. He's saying that over you right now, my favorite one, my favorite one. Do you know the way you move me? Do you know the way you move me? You have overcome me, my love, my dove. Come on, let it compel you right now. Let it change you right now. Let it be the motivation that compels you into maturity. Not the fear of failure, but the love of God. Make me mature in love, Lord. Just ask him, make me mature in love. I want to have a steady gaze. Make me mature in love. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next message.